Welcome to another episode of uh, What's Happening in Travel. I am Kerwin and this is my buddy. Pushro. And uh, in this episode, it's going to be all about aircraft. And uh, behind me, if you're watching this one, um, I have a, a virtual background and it's actually Concord uh, G-B-O-A-G, which is actually the, the one that is in the Boeing um, Center up in uh, Seattle. So if you ever go there, that's the one that's sitting outside and you can actually go inside this one. Kusha, what, what picture do you have? I have a Lufthansa MD-11. <clears throat> Excellent. And you this know, is but, my favorite plane. It just, and that's a recent one because um, it's got the new... Yeah, they've repainted it. Yeah. That means they're not getting rid of it then, right? <laughs> All right. So Hope this not. is our, I know, right? This is our aircraft episode. So um, let me scroll down. Uh, <laughs> and we're trying to keep these episodes to 30 minutes. Yes. And we and need this to... may be the one time where we're actually less than that. Well, I don't know, Kasha. We, we'll see what happens. So we will see. We will see what happens. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. All right. Let's let's start talking by talking about the seven eight seven. Boeing is just having so much trouble with the seven eight seven. What is going on now? So just when you thought that they had finally ironed ironed out all the problems, now there's a new one. But this one, it has nothing to do with manufacturing. Now, in the past several episodes, we've talked about their four previous uh, manufacturing issues, with, which had to do with the way um, the different sections of the aircraft were assembled. Okay. First, it was the tail, the horizontal stabilizer, which is the two horizontal wings at the back of the aircraft, if you um, uh, want to call it that. You're looking at it that way, yeah. Yeah. Then there was the vertical tail, the way that was attached to the fuselage. And then there was also how the rear section of the aircraft was attached to the fuselage, the rear fuselage. The tail of the aircraft was attached to the fuselage. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems to have been identified and uh, fixes are in progress. Now comes a problem with the ILS, the automatic, the autopilot in the cockpit. Of flight deckers, I believe, is the term we should be using. So um, this was based on several reports of um, 787s landing at Hong Kong airport. Now, this is an odd story again. Why there are no details, no more details? Is this happening only at Hong Kong or is it at other airports? Well, long story short, the um, instrument landing system, or ILS, allows um, airlines and aircraft and pilots to fly and to land an aircraft without any visual identification of the airport. So it's sort of important in on stormy days and all sorts of other yeah, situations. Yeah, right? The airport landing. Right, right. So there's a horizontal, a lateral component, uh, which is called the localizer. Right. That's uh, for the ILS system. And then there's the glide scope, which is the vertical. So how high or high low are you mm -hmm. uh, on the aircraft? Are you in line with uh, landing perfectly? So what these pilots have been reporting is that the 787 localizer 
on board has been unable to lock on to the localizer section segment of ILS on the ground at Hong Kong. Okay. So they have not been able to um, use ILS approaches at this airport. So in other words, they've had to revert to a manual landing approach. Now, right now, it could be okay, given that the traffic is down significantly. Right. But on bad weather days, it could be a, a safety issue. Yeah. So um, um, they still haven't announced what the exact cause is and why this is appearing now after all these years That's um, interesting. of operating into Hong Kong. But hopefully there'll be some clarification soon. And this was reported in Airways magazine. I yeah. personally, without knowing anything else about the story, have, have to think that this is something to do with the ground part of it. Because I don't believe after all these years, people would suddenly notice that there was a problem with the aircraft aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, that's very weird. And I guess the, so, um, the alternate airport for Hong Kong is probably Shenzhen, right? Or Macau. Oh, Macau, yeah. Yeah. Which would, which would be interesting if they have to. But usually... Well, there's even Guangzhou, right? But that's a little farther away. That's a little further, yeah. But yeah, Shenzhen, Shenzhen, Shenzhen or Macau, probably, depending yeah. on the size of the aircraft. Yeah, and then I'm just trying to think if... Um, uh, well, I mean, it, it's far enough out there, so the weather in Shenzhen could be very different than it is in. Um, but it could right? not. It may be it's close it enough. Be the same it, is close both enough. Both Macau yeah. and Shenzhen are close enough. But so hopefully we'll get further clarifications on this. But somehow I doubt it. Yeah. Given that the short memory that press has, but for topics like this. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right. Boeing, Boeing, Boeing. All right. And if the, as if that wasn't enough, they are still moving their 787 operations to, to Carolina, the Carolinas, yes. right? South Carolina. Now, they have said that um, they want to refine, this is Boeing's statement from the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to refine 787 production and enhance the airplane's value proposition. Which, but which is in marketing. essence is corporate marketing, marketing. and yes. uh, double speak. But really, they want to um, avoid unions. I and think say, and save money, and save money, of course. So I think this is a huge step. So just a little background. Um, since two thousand seven, the seven eight seven dash eight and dash nine have been assembled exclusively at Seattle in Everett. Uh -huh. Um, and the 787-10 was only uh, assembled in South Carolina, in North Charleston. So now what they want to do in 2021 is consolidate everything in, South, in North Charleston. Um, they've said it will start in 2021. Um, and they haven't really given a lot of details as to you know, any workforce reductions or anything like that. But um, I think it's a pretty big uh, step that Boeing is making. Yeah, because remember, Ch Charleston has had a lot of quality control issues. 
and Qatar Airways, in fact, in the past has refused to accept any of its aircraft that were assembled there. Yeah, it's crazy. So they have to clean up their act. Um, plus, I'm sure they would have to do a lot of uh, infrastructure building, right, to accommodate these two additional yeah. types of 787s, but I'm sure they're going to work it out. Because, well, you know what, they're probably but, getting a good deal from the city or something. Absolutely. Um, to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. But then you're, you're leaving all these And they're sending a warning to the unions in Seattle. Yeah, but I, I, and I, I understand all that, but you're, you're basically devastating one neighborhood for another neighborhood. Well, I'm not sure you, I would go that far because they insist that 737, 747 for the next two years, 767 and 777 production will remain in Washington State, which is Seattle. Mm-hmm. So that's what they said probably a few years ago about other things and they've changed it. So I don't, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I get the need to save money and all that kind of stuff, but are you going to run into the same problem you did with the 737s, with the 787s yep. at some point? Trying to cost cut. Because you're trying to cut, cut costs. Yep. So have you re- has learned its lesson. I and it doesn't sound that way. <laughs> so, um, good Lord. All right. Uh, all right. More Boeing news. With the 737-8-7-9-10. What's so going this on? This is fairly recent. I'm trying not to um, call it the other name. <laughs> right now, a very unloved aircraft. And... Uh, then Boeing has made 470 of them right. since the shutdown in March 2019. And this is until August 30th. And they have determined that 13% of these aircraft that have been built, which is about 62, uh, are no longer needed because either the airlines have canceled or the lessers have canceled these orders or the right. airlines have gone bankrupt. They're going to business, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So um, Boeing is actively looking for customers to take up these white-tailed aircraft, as they call them. And I'm sure they're ready to wheel and deal. And one of the airlines they had approached was Delta, because both um, but American, United, and Southwest are the three of the yeah. four largest U.S. carriers, and Delta is the only one who doesn't. So what they're trying to see if they can sweet talk Delta into buying these aircraft in exchange for the 717s that they're retiring. Um, So it's to be seen what happens, but I'm sure Boeing will work something out. Because in the first eight months of 2020, in 2020, 564 um, 737 MAX aircraft, all variants have been canceled. And in, 200, in 2019, there were 270 that were canceled. So, um, and in 2020, um, boy, there's this company called Spirit Aerosystems in Kansas City, and they have shipped uh, just 22 of the fuselages to uh, Boeing in 2020, through the end of August. Okay. So there's really not a lot of production in, in 2020, but they still need to find buyers for these aircraft. 
Yeah, it's supposed to ramp up to 31 per month by the first quarter in um, 2022. And they currently have um, 3,993 orders to be filled, yet including 11 uh, Boeing BBJs, which is the business okay. jet equivalent. Yeah, they need to make room for them. Uh, yes, for, and they for... expect it will take several <laughs> years to clear the backlog. I know when I grounded aircraft. When I flew into Painfield, there's like a whole side, and Painfield is um, is the name of the airport slash uh, area in um, in Seattle, where Boeing is actually their manufacturing plant is located, and you can now fly into there on uh, I think Alaska and um, United. And uh, when I flew in, there's a whole line of seven uh, three. Dash eight, dash seven, dash nine, dash tens. <laughs> no tens yet. Uh, well, okay, no tens yet. Uh, but they were making the ten. Yeah. Did, weren't they making the tens for uh, Ryanair? Right, but I, I don't think but they never actually made one yet. Oh, They're not okay. delivered yet. Yeah, right. but the Ryanair is going to call them the Max two hundred. Oh, but not, no, I thought I, they were going. I thought they weren't going to use the Max. Yes, there. yes, I agree. So uh, God but, knows what's happening. Oh, that's funny. I'm sure that's going to change. Bowen's going to have a little secret meeting. Dude, we'll give you a million dollars off <laughs> <laughs> if you drop that name. That's funny. Yes. Uh, all right. Enough of Boeing. Um, <laughs> let's go to... So there is a lot of airplanes not flying worldwide. And um, the thing with airplanes, if they're not flying, they need to be prepared properly and they need to be stored properly and they're being stored all over the world especially in deserts now there aren't many places in the world that have deserts that are capable i i mean there's lots of deserts around the world but they you have to have facilities and workers and mechanics and stuff infrastructure thank you right and so one of those places is actually in australia in alice springs because if you've ever been to alice springs it is desert so what's going on, Kishro? What's, what's going on in Alice Springs? So Alice Springs is the long-term storage uh, location for a lot of Asian carriers. Um, there's Singapore Airlines, Cathay Pacific, and all their subsidiaries. There's Fiji Airways and Cebu Pacific. Mm-hmm. So they've all stored their aircraft there. Um, they have 94 planes. Um, in Alice Springs, which is a tiny little town of about 25,000 people, apparently. Yeah. So this company, which is the Asia Pacific Airline Storage Company, has run out of space. They have uh, room for 16 additional aircraft, but that is all taken care of. Wow. So they went searching for additional facilities and apparently found them in um, a town called Wellcamp in Toowoomba, which is directly west of Brisbane in Queensland. Mm -hmm. They only have about two aircraft there yet, but more aircraft will be joining um, at that location starting this week. I just thought it was interesting that um, all these Southeast Asian airlines send their aircraft to be stored in Australia. Qantas sends its planes to California. It's agreement that they have. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's, a just, it's a maintenance agreement that they have. Right. Well, see, so, it's not a maintenance thing, really. It's a storage. I know but, Los Angeles yeah. 
national is a huge maintenance base for quantities. It is. It is. So it but, makes sense. I mean, and you know, people can't travel all the time. So it makes sense to have the planes where the mechanics are located, yeah. right? I think I the think. US has the most of these airplane storage areas. They call them graveyards. Yes. Which so, are also storage and disposal. But Spain has a lot. The UK has a few. Mm -hmm. France has some. And Australia. Uh, there you go. Because in, so, in, in the US, there is Mojave. And Mojave has like... And Victorville. Yeah, and Victorville, which is just on the world. And Mojave has space for days. And there's Arizona as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there is Arizona and Tucson. Uh, and yeah. Tucson is actually the place where you have all the... Um, military. The, mili the military right? ones are stored yeah. there, right, by the Tucson airport. And there's an evergreen facility, which is not too far from uh, just outside of Tucson. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of space. Who would have thought that you'd you know you'd the, and I guess the thing with Asia is that the smaller planes uh, can't fly uh, back to the back to the U.S. to get stored because it's a yeah. logistical thing to get. Not that they can't because they did fly there in the first place, but it's logistics to make it happen. Mm. Um, interesting. We need more deserts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, who would have thought we'd run out of space to store airplanes? Um, all right, we're going to end on a really cool note. Um, airplane engines are amazing, amazing, amazing things. And um, the, the more we build these new airplanes, the more we have to also build engines. And there's also there's a lot of things that goes in tandem. Um, I remember, I think it was the 787, when it first launched, it had issues with the engine, so the planes couldn't operate. And what happened is that most of these manufacturers, they will just pick, they'll be like an all, all Pratt & Whitney house or all GE, GE uh, engine house or all um, Rolls-Royce or something like that. And so um, Krish is going to tell us about the largest engine that's been certified. Yes. What's going on? Um, as you say, I have such amazing respect for GE. I know that sounds a little fake, but <laughs> I think make... the GE 90 is an amazing engine. And that's again, what's, that's what's on the 777, if you guys don't know. Well, well, yes. Some of the 777s. <laughs> yes. Um, and they've made an even larger engine, if that's possible. Oh, and this is to God. power the, the 777X, which is the Dash 9 and Dash 8. Wow. So I thought the GE90 was massive at 123 inches or 312 centimeters in diameter. Uh -huh. But the GE9X, which is the, uh, the new engine, is 134 inches in diameter, so 340 centimeters. Hmm, okay. So um, they finally certified it for flight. Uh, they had a few issues. Uh, early in uh, 2020, when the high-pressure compressor needed a redesign. Right. But um, given the situation, GE was able to fix the problem without any disruption at all. Good. Um, and uh, um, they've so far delivered eight, eight engines and two spares to Boeing. So these are all powering the test aircraft of the 777-9. Um, they've accomplished about 5,000 hours of flights and 8,000 cycles, which is one takeoff and one landing, during the certification process, including about uh, 72 flights 
which is just about 400 hours on a 747-400 testbed. So the second engine, engine number two, has been replaced with this GE9X and has flown on the 747. Most of them, this started in 2018, by the way. Yeah. Most of these tests have been performed on the ground as a static uh, engine. And uh, they're, they're supposed to deliver the first batch of production engines to Boeing in the fourth quarter of 2020, which Very will be the uh, Lufthansa and Emirates aircraft that have been um, assembled already. So, um, again, I just wanted to mention sure. it because it's no, a big deal. That is, that, well, big, right? <laughs> good, yeah. good, good fun there, Kishore. Um, Unintended, but yeah, the, the whole um, aircraft engine. When you go to uh, this, way, it's really good to go to shows like Pirates Air Show and Farnborough Air Show, and hopefully we'll have a Farnborough Air Show. Well, I guess it'll be Pirates Air Show next year, um, in probably in June if you know all goes well with the coronavirus. Is that you see all these engine uh, manufacturers? You actually see some of the engines there, and I'd seen one once where the guy said that it was a, I think it was a, actually a G ninety. And it's huge. Um, and he said that it had a crack, it was a hairline crack. And of course, you can't see it, but the, the computers pick it up because any yeah. crack, anything like that, you know, will cause vibrations and the, the, the shell is no longer good. You have to redo it again. Um, with the, so what was Boeing using to test when they did the first flight of mm -hmm. the Dash 9? What did they use? As an engine. They used the, the original engine that had to be redesigned. You mean the, the GE the high pressure. engine? No, the, the 9X. But remember, they had these issues with the high pressure compressor. Right. That's why the, the aircraft had to be grounded for a few months while GE worked well, on GE fixed that. Fix. Okay. All right. Yeah. So is, that, is, is Pratt & Whitney and Rolls-Royce also designing an engine for the... Not to the best of my knowledge. I think this is going to be an exclusive 9X uh, um, aircraft, uh, just like the triple seven three hundred, which has only E ninety. So um, yeah, because I know when the when the the G um, the the nineties were were launched, it was a big. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It, it it's what keeps us aloft when we fly across the Atlantic and the Pacific. So it's a huge deal. Um, yeah. And although I know there was uh, there were there were a few things that happened with the with the GE nineties when they first came out, um, I think uh, one of the some of the mechanics had put the wrong amount of oil in them. So when you see that when you see people you see like the mechanics go and open up the engines and stick their heads in and stuff like that, they're really doing something. But they had the units were off, like it was liters instead of uh, what's it? It was an Air Canada flight, a seven. Yeah, I forget. Seven or seven sixty-seven. It was it was a triple seven that they had the air with, and they had. What was it called? The Gimli glider or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So these things happens all the time, where you know they they didn't simple thing they didn't put enough oil in, and you, you need enough oil to keep the engine so, running, and so they had to divert and put more oil in and then carry on again. Um, so there must be significant ground clearance for this engine to well, be able to expand it without changing the undercarriage. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, they've added quite a bit there. So, um, and then 
So I actually see it. I'm picturing it on a 747-400 on the test bed, which if you ever... Oh, it's very it, noticeable. Yeah, very, very oh, noticeable. Yes. If you go to Mojave, um, you can see uh, the airplane, if it's out there um, or not, not in the hangar. But if you ever get a tour of Mojave, that's um, uh, where they have... I've seen that plane. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that part of aviation is really exciting. <laughs> How we test no. engines. Um, all right. I think that's all we have. Uh, yep. We're ending so. on a good, we're ending on a good note and we're about at the half an hour mark, Kusha, so you'll be okay. happy to know that. <laughs> um, so don't forget to, uh, follow us on, uh, all the podcast channels out there. Search for what's happening in travel. You can send emails to feedback at fastrider.com. And tell us what you think of the show. Tell us what you'd like to see. Remember, you can go to Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts or Apple Music and just search for What's Happening in Travel. And you can find us there and subscribe, uh, share, tell your friends and come back and, and give, us, give us feedback. We definitely want to hear what you think of the shows. And um, that's it for this episode, which is episode, are we 39? Yes. Oh, wow. So episode 40 is the next episode. We're going to have to have something special for episode 40, right? Uh, well, thank you guys for watching and listening. We really appreciate it. And um, this is Kerwin and my buddy. For sure. And we are signing off for What's Happening in Travel.